so good. All right, y'all. Well, if you don't know, my name is Pastor Jared. I am so excited to be with you guys tonight. I'm the pastor of Access, which is the Young Adults Community of Resurrection Life Church. And I'm really honored, stoked to be here with you guys tonight. I have a word on my heart that I feel like is going to hit home with some of y'all tonight. It's going to be really, really good. Um, But before I get into it, I felt on my heart during worship that uh, the Lord kind of down, wanted me to kind of explain something in my, uh, that you, that somebody, if, if access is kind of new to you, it's maybe you've, you've seen even during worship and you're like scratching your head a little bit like, what, what the heck, you know, what's going on? You know, during worship, you might have seen some people like raising their hands. You might have seen some people on their knees or like with their forehead, like on the floor, right? And that might be something that's really, really new to you, right? And I just want to say, one, that's all right. But two, I, I want to explain like a little bit about what worship is and like why we do that. Like why do we lift our hands? Why do we get on our knees? Why do we sometimes lay down or sit down in the presence of God? Um, and is that appropriate? Is that right? Some of us grew up in traditions where it was like you grow up, you stand up and you sing the, the songs and you stand like this. And if you like scratch your nose, everyone looks at you, you know, and they're like, okay, good. Just making sure your hand wasn't going up, you know, different things like that. Um, but throughout, throughout the Bible, um, there's a principle in the Bible, which is called the rule of first mention. And basically, it states that the first time you see a topic mentioned in the Bible, it's in its purest and its most God-inspired form. So you see that in the creation of humanity. God created the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God was in its purest form in the way that God intended it. Well, the first time that we ever see the word worship mentioned in the Bible is actually in the later chapters of of Genesis. I believe it's 20. It might be 22. I always mix it up in my head. Um, But it's in the story where Abraham sacrifices Isaac. And when describing this act that, that Abraham was literally willing to give up the thing that was most precious to him, that's when the Bible calls it worship. And so, this, this idea of worship, it's not just singing a few songs and then, you know, it's not like a warm-up for the message. It's not like, that's, it's not what worship is. Worship is actually a sacrifice. And so sometimes when we lift up our hands or we jump up and down or we get on our knees, it, I don't know about y'all, but when I do that sometimes, I get a little nervous because sometimes I'm thinking in my head, what is this person going to think of me? Or what is that good person going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm this or, or that? And man, if I jump around, if I run around the room right now, like is everyone just going to think I'm a psycho, right? And what are all those things? Those are all dignity. That's, that's what dignity is rising up and trying to talk to me. And what, what I'm able to do during worship when I lift my hands or when I run around or when I jump up and down or when I get on my knees is I'm saying, God, I'm sacrificing my dignity to you. Because you're worth more to me than what I look like to other people. And when I can do that in worship, when I can do that when we're singing these songs, then I believe that the Lord is pleased by that. The Lord sees that offering, that sacrifice that we give to him. And he says, hmm, that's awesome. Sometimes I like to imagine my life, I think I've said this before, but sometimes I like to imagine my life as kind of like a movie and then, you know, like the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all them, they're all like sitting down. They got their popcorn buckets. 
And they're like, <laughs> you know, like just watching my life kind of unfold, right? And sometimes like, and I feel like this tug on my heart, Jared, just go run around the room. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, but Lord, ah. Oh. Or Jared, jump up and down. And it's like a worship song, like really somber, like no one else is jumping in the entire room. And I'm like, oh, but Lord, ah. Oh. Right? And everyone in heaven's like, is he going to do it? Oh my God. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like, and then Redfins goes like, yeah, like the popcorn buckets go flying, you know. They're all like, yeah, right. But like, that's what it means. That's what it means. And that's sometimes when you see this kind of played out or if you see this, see people kind of raising their hands, getting on their knees, jumping up and down, running around the room. You might see flags or dancers, like all this stuff. It's, it's a sweet sacrifice to the Lord. And what we're saying by that is, God, you mean more to me than what I look like to other people. Does that make sense? We good there? Come on. Awesome. Well, this month, so that was sermon part one, scene, right? Okay, here we go, part two. So this month, we're actually kicking off a new series, um, and this series is called Devoted, all right? Devoted. And what we're going to be talking about the whole month is friendships, and we'll be asking ourselves and answering some of the questions of like, man, now that I follow Jesus, what do my friend, what should my friends look like? What do my friends look, look like? Should my friendships change? Should different people in my life change? How, how do friends really affect my life? And today, that is where I'm hoping that we go. Last week, we talked about how you become what you behold, Right? We gave this analogy about how this, our mind is like the soil of our life. And whatever we plant inside our mind is going to grow one way or the other. So we talked about, man, the, what, I, what I watch, what I listen to, the things that, that I surround myself with, they're all like sowing seeds in my mind, and they're, they're going to plant those things in my life. I become what I behold. We looked at 1 Corinthians 3, where it says, we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, and we become more like him when we do that. We're conformed into his image when we do that. And so, you become what you behold. But this week, I want to I go a step further, and we're actually going to stay in the book of the Corinthians. One of the key verses that we're going to pull from, that I'm going to pull from today, is out of 1 Corinthians 15. And it's verse, 50, verse 33. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness, do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So specifically the first part, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Every time you see that phrase mentioned in the Bible, do not be deceived, that should be a signpost to you that, wow, this is probably a, uh, this is a point where a lot of people are deceived. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, right? So he's writing to a group of believers, and he's basically begging them, imploring them. He's saying, guys, a lot of people are deceived in this area, and I'm asking that you would not be one of those. I want to expose this. Bad company corrupts good morals. And what we see this, we pull a vital truth out of this phrase, and this vital truth is you become like those that you share your life with. So last week we said you, we become what we behold, right? So it's important that what are these things sowing into our mind, right? But 
take it a step further. We become like those who we share our life with, right? Now, this can be applied in the negative sense, and we kind of see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, where he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But if that is true, then also the opposite is true. And it's good company actually promotes good morals. And I, I believe as, like, as the pastor of this access community and like the people that I see in this room, I believe that some of us in this room are sharing company that's not godly. And if we're honest with ourselves, what Paul is saying here is don't trick yourself. Don't, don't play a trick on yourself in your mind. Like if you hang out consistently, if you share life with people who are not walking or not even trying to push you in God's way, it's going to, you're going to follow after them in that bad way. But if you will find those people who are devoted to Christ and his word, who are entrenched in the spiritual disciplines, who are, are in love with Jesus, then you're also going to follow after their suit. You become like those who you share your life with. And so we have these, this opportunity before us, right? And this opportunity is found within our community. It's found we either have the option to partner with those who are headed after Christ and be swept along in that current of following Christ, or we can play that, that half in, half out game. We can say, oh, but Jared, like, you know, it's just, I only hang out with them one day a week. And, you know, like, yeah, sure, we watch terrible movies. Or sure, they have a bad mouth. Sure, all these things. But, man, these are my bros. These, these are my ladies. Like, we've grown up together. We've shared so much life together. How am I supposed to, right? My encouragement to us is, man, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But good company promotes good morals. So, with the rest of the time that I have here today, we're actually going to look at three stories, all right? And we're going to kind of use this analogy. This running analogy is going to kind of run throughout these three stories that I tell, all right? So the, the analogy is that your life is kind of like a boat. And whoever you let inside of your boat will determine the ease of your ride through this life, okay? Is everyone following that? So your life is kind of like a boat, and whoever you let inside of that boat will determine the ease of your ride. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much, God. You are so good. Lord, there is no one like you in the heavens or on the earth. Father, we come humbly before you, and we boldly say, God, that nothing is off limits in our life. God, we just echo that prayer that we prayed last week, God. Out of Psalms 139, we say, search us, O Lord, and know us, God. Test our anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked or hurtful way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. God, we want to be conformed more and more to your image, God. We don't want to pretend like we have you all figured out, Lord. We want to become more and more like you every day. Jesus, there's so much more to you than I've experienced, so much more than we've experienced in this room. Would you lead us and guide us in your truth as you always do? Holy Spirit, help us. Help us become more like Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. All right. So the first story we're going to look at, the tale of the three boats. The first tale is we're going to talk about Jonah and the whale. All right. Some of you guys have heard this story before, but we're going to get right into it. All right. So little preface, background to this story. So Jonah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Basically what that means is he is entrusted with hearing God's voice and then communicating on his behalf to certain people groups, okay? So Jonah, usually all of the prophets in the Old Testament spoke to the nation of Israel, but Jonah is actually the only prophet in the Old Testament who actually was instructed to speak to Gentiles or people outside of the Israelite community. And so we see um, there was this community outside of Israel at that time. It was called Assyria. Now, you need to know this. Assyria was basically this kingdom that had plundered the nation of Israel like nobody else had. They were way stronger than Israel. And a lot of times they came in, destroyed their homes, and took their women and their children and took them as slaves back into their home country. So this is what Jonah has experienced, has seen throughout his entire life. He's seen the Assyrians come in, completely destroy his home, and take some of his closest friends and family as slaves back into their home country, the land of Assyria. Now, Assyria, the capital of Assyria at that time was a place called Nineveh. And one day, Jonah hears the word of the Lord but it, does, it tells him something very, very unexpected. He says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and speak everything that I have commanded you to speak. We have to understand this. Like God was literally asking Jonah to go to his enemy and to speak on behalf of God to them. That would have been tough. To put it in maybe in terms that we would have understood, that would have been like a Jew during the time of the Holocaust. And he would have said, go, that'd be like the Lord saying to a Jew and saying, go and stand in front of Hitler and tell him of my good news in the gospel. Like these people, he's literally seen his own people be taken away as slaves, killed and destroy like everything and God says go so Jonah being a very patriotic man had a really really hard time with this and we see that hard time in uh in verse three and four so Jonah upon hearing the word of the Lord actually goes in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh and we see that in verse three and four it says but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that that the ship threatened to break up or threatened to sink. So one thing really quick that I want to say here in verse 3, it says, when Jonah is actually walking in opposition to the word of the Lord, look how it describes his, his disobedience. He says, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes, like, sometimes we can resonate that with that. We know God's called us to do something, 
But then when we make an, the opposite decision away from what God has called us to do, it's almost like all the peace in our life is gone. It's almost like, whoa, like what just happened? Where did God go? And you're thinking maybe this is just like the anxiety that, you know, like used to follow me all the time. But well, who knows, man? Like this is away from the presence of the Lord, right? That's how he describes his obedience. And that's a, I think that's a good way to, to, to describe it. It's like God is here and I'm moving away from where God is, right? But the good news is that there's no amount of disobedience that a step of obedience can't redeem. God's always there and he's always there to be with you and to turn back when you turn back to him. So Jonah runs away from the presence of the Lord, right? And then he gets in the boat to sail to the opposite, the opposite place of Nineveh, okay? Now he goes into this boat, but he's not the only one in the boat. There's actually some other mariners that he's hitchhiked a ride with, but because he's walking away from the presence of the Lord, it says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea and the ship threatened to break up. So now we go into verse five. It says, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the literal reason why this whole storm is happening is because Jonah is on the boat. And all these people, these mariners who had nothing to do with Jonah's decision to run away from the presence of the Lord, they're all dealing with the upheaval of the storm that's, in the, that's happening in their boat, right? But where's Jonah? He's just down there. He's like, you know what? I kind of expected as much if I'm running away from the presence of the Lord. Let me just take a nap. You know, I'll probably die here. This might be the last time I get some shut-eye, you know? He's just down there in the bottom of the boat, right? But I want us to note something here. If, the, if, a, if our life is kind of like this boat here described in Jonah, some of you guys can resonate with the mariners here in this story. Some of you guys have friends in your life that you are like seeking to help and you're seeking to do all these things. Maybe they're friends who have been with you for a long, long time. But man, these friends just kind of have like pr problems and trouble that like follow them all the time. And you've let them into their boat. You've let them into your life. You actually share life with them. But because of that, you feel like you're always swept up in some kind of storm. And I just want us to pause here a moment, right? Because we, we see a powerful truth kind of exemplified here from this story of Jonah. And this powerful truth says that some of the hardship in our life is not the result of our own actions, but it might be a result of the actions of the people that we surround ourselves with. And this is corroborated in the book of Proverbs when the writer of Proverbs, likely Solomon, says in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Some of us have let people into our boat that, man, are causing these storms and these tempests in our life, right? 
So the, the story continues. So the mariners are kind of trying not to die, you know? And so they're like, they actually, they all serve different gods at this time, but they're basically like, you know what? I've tried this God, this God, this God, none of it works. So they actually start praying to like our God, the God of the universe, like Yahweh. They start praying to him. They start, they fast, they petition, they make sacrifices, and eventually they cast lots and they discern through all of those measures that the reason the storm is happening in their life is because of Jonah. And so they pull Jonah out, and they're basically like, dude, what is going on here? What's happening? And Jonah's like, well, you know, God told me to go here, and I actually disobeyed and went over to here. And I'm, oh, by the way, my God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And all these people are like so afraid. So now the mariners ask Jonah this question in Jonah 1 verse 12. They, or in verse 11, they ask him a question, what should we do then? Like, wh- what, do you, what, do we need you, what do we need to do? And j- this is Jonah's response to them. He said to, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So these mariners, they didn't want blood on their hands. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard because they thought he would die if they threw him overboard. And I think some of us, again, in this room can resonate with that fact. You're in somebody's life right now, and maybe they have like an unhealthy dependence on you right now. And you think to yourself, man, if I'm not in their life, they're going to die. Like, how are they going to continue if I'm not in their life? And I'm just saying, like, that's not the way that God designed friendship. It's not like I I give and you take. It's God designed friendship to be a life-giving fountain to which both parties contribute and bring glory and honor to Jesus. It's not meant to be a give and take. And so we see the conclusion of the story in Jonah 1, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now, I've seen this kind of thing actually play out in my own life at one point. There was a guy my junior year of college that, man, like, he had been through a tough, like, tough thing in his life. Like, there was just a lot going on in his life and all these different things. But if I was honest with myself, I didn't really want, I wanted, I wanted to reach out to him. And I think I, I reached out to him, but if I'm really honest, it wasn't because like even I loved him or I, God loved him, but it was because I was actually covering my own insecurity. And so I reached out and I met all of the needs that were happening in his life and all of the things that were coming up. And guess what? It felt actually really, really good to do that at a time. And I was like meeting all these needs, picking them up, driving them places, doing all this stuff, taking them to doctor's appointments, like different things like that, just doing and stretching myself so thin. But everyone around me could see that there was a storm brewing in my life. And eventually it came to the point where, man, like if there was, if I were to hang out with somebody else and like not bring them up, like there was just some like tension there. There was always like this tension. There was always something going on that I needed to fix in his life, right? And it was really, really tough for me. But I had to come to this place by the power of the Holy Spirit where I just had to, to set up a clear boundary and say, man, if our friendship is going to continue in the way it is right now, I can't continue a friendship with you. 
And this is probably the closest thing I've ever felt to a deliverance. But after I had that conversation, I literally felt like a physical weight lift off my shoulder. And then I literally, like, I started laughing uncontrollably. And it was like all this joy that had been suppressed so much by, like, by this this savior complex of me trying to meet unhealthy needs and then this like victim mentality that was trying to draw me out into a place that the Lord wasn't calling me into, like that was lifted off and it all of a sudden released the joy that it is to be in in relationship with Jesus and the joy that it is to be in communion with other people again. And I feel like God has some of that for you. I don't know if this is resonating with any one person in this room, but I would encourage you One thing that God spoke to my heart that really resonated with me and helped me through this time is he said, Jared, do you think you love that person more than I do? And I said, well, obviously no. He goes, okay, well, if I'm asking you to step away from them for a time, then you have to trust me that it's the best thing for you and it's the best thing for them. You have to trust me. So that's tale number one. That's tale number one is that, man, there's, who are we allowing into our boat? And man, are the people that, are allow, that we're allowing into our boat, are they creating storms in our life that maybe God is not intending for us to go through at this time? I'm going to zip through these last couple stories. Tale number two. All right. Tale number two, we have Peter and John. All right. Peter and John. So this story is found in John 21, verse four through eight, and I'm going to read it all together. All right. So this is context of this story is Jesus has died. He's buried, but he's also actually raised to life after three days. And so now Peter has just denied Jesus three times. And he's thinking, man, I I blew it. That's it. I'm done. Like, had hopes of being an apostle, you know, I kind of made the, the A team, I made the varsity, but man, I, I for sure just got cut there, you know, like I'm done. And so he resorts to a lifestyle of fishing. He's like, man, that's the only thing I knew. So he's like, yo, like Jesus is gone and I'm kind of out of this thing. I'm going fishing. Anybody want to go with me? And all his, some of his boys, they come back and they come, hop in the boat and they're, they're out fishing, right? And this is where we pick up in our story, John 21, verse four through eight. And it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast their nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were, un, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And so we see another type of friendship here, right? So the, the reality is there's, there's some types of friends that are in our life right now that maybe the Lord might be putting on your heart to say, man, I need to take a step away from these friends because they're not leading me towards the way of Christ. But let me encourage you, for everyone that you, you, you obey the Lord and you say, I'm gonna put this one to the side so I can pursue Christ more fully, for everyone that you put aside, God has another one who's ready to chase after Jesus. And what does that friend look like? It looks like, 
like the relationship that John had with Peter here in John 21, verse 4 through 8. If you see here, the, the other disciples came, or I'm sorry, he, so he goes, in verse 7 and 8, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And he did all of that. Why? Because his buddy John looked on the shore and recognized that it was Jesus. What if we had friends like that who knew us like so deeply and intimately, who are so involved in our life and were actually praying for us outside of the times that we see each other and then they know you so well that whenever you have an opportunity in your life, they're able to see in the boat and they look and they point and they say, it is the Lord. And then that fills you with such a confidence that you're ready to leap out of the boat. You're ready to leap out of your comfort zone. You're ready to take that step of faith to follow the Lord into what he's calling you to do. You know why Peter jumped out of the boat? Because he had this burning desire. He said, I cannot get to Jesus fast enough. I, I'm not going to wait for y'all to drag this net back to shore. I have to be to Jesus. I want to be as close as possible as soon as possible. What if we had friends like that? And I want to encourage you guys that there are friends, even in this room, that are chasing after Jesus like that. And that's what God has in store for us, is these friendships that are going to push us, propel us to take steps of faith, to get as close to Jesus as possible, as soon as possible. So from these two first stories, we get one main question. And this one key question is, who is in your boat? Who are those people that you find close? We hear, you know, the, the phrase all around, and motivational speakers use this. It's kind of rooted even in that first scripture we referenced, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, but the quote is, you're the average of your five closest friends. Your life is going to average out to be like your five closest friends. Who are those five people in your life? And do you like the direction that they are going with their life? Are they propelling you towards Christ? Are they blowing wind in your sails? Are they encouraging you to leap out of the boat because they recognize Jesus in your life? Who's in your boat? The last story I have, the last tale, the last of the three tales. And just a side note, I don't use the word tale here because these aren't true stories. <laughs> it's just a play on words. They started, all, started with T's, and so I decided to call them a tale. But these are actual events that happened historically. So the last of them, the, the last of the three tales is Jesus calming the storm. And we find this one in Mark 4, verse 36 through 39. It says, and leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them as well. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on some cushions. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. It's interesting to see the parallel between this story and the story of Jonah, right? For Jonah's case, he was asleep as well in the boat, right? And they woke him and they said, what do we have to do? And he says, you actually have to throw me out of the boat. But here, we see the disciples, Jesus sleeping again, and they wake Jesus up and they say, do you not care we are perishing? And Jesus didn't have to leave the boat. He had to be given authority over the boat. He had to be made the Lord over the boat. They actually, the, the disciples, they had tried rowing for themselves for so long. They rowed through the night and they thought that they were gonna die. But they decided to put their oars away and wake the master and say, what would you do? And when Jesus was given authority and when he was given lordship over the boat, he spoke three words, peace, be still. And the storm ceased. Some of you guys, your life is kind of in a storm right now. There's a lot of things that are kind of in upheaval and you don't really know where to go or what to do with it. And I'm encouraging you, Jesus is with you, right? He's with you. But my question is, does he have the authority over your boat? Does he have the lordship over your life? Or are you trying in your own strength with your oars to try to make it through and put on a good face and trying to make it through? Jesus wants to be the Lord of your boat. He wants to have the authority over it. And if we want these lasting, life-giving, Jesus-bred friendships in our life, it begins with this first step of saying, Jesus, you direct where I go. You direct where I go. Jesus, what would you do if you had authority over my life? Then do it. And so with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I wanna give you an opportunity tonight before we leave, I wanna give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. To surrender the oars of striving, of trying to be a good person, trying to do enough good things for the Lord's and then he'll be pleased with me. Give up the oars of trying to run to other things like relationships, running to other things like drugs and alcohol, running to other things like success to try to make it through the storm of your life. You're saying, God, I'm done trying on my own. I, I want you to have the authority in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So that's you tonight, and you're saying, tonight is my night. I, I want to give Jesus his rightful place in my life. I want to make him the captain. He decides. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. Nobody looking around. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand. You're saying, yes. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to direct me. I'm done trying to live life on my own. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see your hand. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. All right, would everybody pray this prayer with me all together as one unit? Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus. I love you. 
thank you for dying on the cross for me, defeating death, defeating sin, and defeating the devil. I believe that you not only died, but you rose again. And Jesus, I give you all of my heart. I give you all of my life. I make you the Lord and the King of my life. I hold nothing back. Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me become more like Jesus. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give it up for those people. So amazing.